0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4 verses 14 to 23. It was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs. Once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'm happy to be with you this morning, but I am sad to be concluding the book of Philippians. Philippians has been a wonderful short letter for us to study this fall. We began in the very beginning, in chapter 1, verse 1, on, I believe it was August the 20th, and here we are closing out this letter this morning, as we close out the year of 2023, and I, I really hope that this, this short book has caused you to rejoice more in the Lord. It has me, and I, I think it's given us many reasons to rejoice in the Lord this fall. And as we near Christmas Day, we near the celebration of God graciously and generously giving us the gift of his son. And by way of application, I think it's very appropriate to respond by rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ again this morning. And by way of application, I think it is very appropriate to respond with gospel-driven generosity. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Gospel-Driven Generosity, because that is exactly what we see as this letter closes out. The Philippians are moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have supplied the Apostle Paul with a generous gift, a monetary gift, so that the gospel message could continue to advance in Rome through a prison ministry. Paul's there, he's under house arrest, as many of you know, but the gospel is not in chains. The gospel is moving, the gospel is being received by some of the praetorian guard, And it's going into even Caesar's household. Adversity cannot stop the gospel. If anything, adversity is like gasoline on the fire of the gospel. Praise God. It was the gospel that drove the Philippians to invest in Paul's ministry in Rome. Even when he was not in the public square, but in a private household under arrest. Gospel-driven generosity is what we see in this text. So keep that in mind and look with me again at Philippians 4, 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here's the first thing I want us to see this morning in this message on gospel driven generosity. First thing is this generosity is both kind and necessary. It is both kind and necessary. Look at verse 14. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. There's a very interesting beginning. He, he begins with the word yet. Yet is, in English grammar, a conjunction Meaning it's conjoining two things. It's joining two things together. It is the bridge between verse 13 and verse 14 and following. So what is Paul trying to to bridge the gap of? Well, we got to go back to verse 13. In verse 13 he says, the famous verse that, that is so familiar to people inside and outside the church. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. And now in verse 14, he clarifies that statement. And, And what he clarifies that statement, or how he clarifies it, is this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, I can be content in any situation, whether I'm free or I'm in prison, whether times are good or whether times are bad, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to send this gift. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's clarifying, I could do all things through Christ alone who strengthens me, and yet I'm not unappreciative of the gift that you've sent me. I am very, very appreciative of the gift that you have supplied for me. I'm grateful for it, Philippians. I love you, and I love that you love me, and you care about the gospel moving forward here in Rome. I think I mentioned last week that Paul, even though he was under house arrest, Luke records at the end of Acts, that he was actually having to pay rent under house arrest, which is crazy, So the Philippians are are legitimately helping provide for some basic needs. In doing this, the Philippians have shared in Paul's trouble that they're true gospel partners with Paul, as Paul's a gospel partner with this church. They are not just with Paul when things are easy. They're not just with Paul when... He's in the public square and he's preaching freely. They're with Paul when he is suffering imprisonment because he is suffering persecution from a world that rejects the exclusivity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. They're with him in it, thick and thin. It's very kind of them to be generous. It's very kind of them to send this gift. They don't have to send the gift, but they do it because the gospel has driven them to it. So generosity is kind, but it's also necessary. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So the beginning of the gospel, what does he mean by that? What he means is when he went to Philippi, when, as as it's recorded in Acts 16, he preached the gospel, he was doing evangelism, and a church was planted there in Philippi. That was the beginning of the gospel in Philippi. Then he left Macedonia. Macedonia is the larger region in which Philippi is located. He left Macedonia. Why? To continue to do that work. of an apostle, of a missionary. He is preaching, he is evangelizing, he is planting churches, he is raising up leaders in those churches, and then he's leaving, and he's doing it again, and again, and again. This is hard work. Not everyone is called to do this kind of work. Romans 15, verse 20, Paul says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, but not just preach the gospel. He says, not where Christ has already been named. Meaning? Paul's ambition in life, Paul's calling from Jesus Christ was to go to the places that did not yet know Jesus Christ, that did not yet know how they could be saved from their sin, forgiven of their sin by God, receive his mercy as a free gift through faith alone in Christ. They did not know of Christ's perfect life. For their sake. They did not know of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for their sake. They had not heard of Christ's victorious resurrection from the dead, proving that He is the only way to be saved. And so He went and He preached and He suffered and He's imprisoned. Many of you know the difficulties of this type of trailblazing ministry. Many of you were with this church when it was planted almost 11 years ago and it's a grind as you know and it requires support in many ways and financial support support is part of it and he was grateful for the Philippians they were his only gospel partner for a time This partnership is defined by both giving and receiving, and the Philippians, they they would never be jealous of Paul's role and his responsibility as an apostle, as a missionary, as a church planter and preacher. And likewise, Paul would never complain that he bore the burden of ministry. He knew that they were equal partners in this gospel-advancing ministry together. One was just as necessary as the other. There is no such thing as a one man ministry. Every effective gospel ministry requires financial support. It requires speakers and servers. It requires the whole body working as individual members, but as one body. The ministry of generosity is a lot like the ministry of evangelism, it's necessary. And it's a lot like the ministry of evangelism. Everyone's hoping that someone else is doing it. You might not know this. In Romans 12, I'm going to read 6 through 8, but one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of contribution. It's the gift of generosity. It says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in proportion to our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Oftentimes, those with the spiritual gift of generosity are those who are good stewards of what they have. They're, they're prudent in investing and entrepreneurship. It's how you can maybe identify if you have a gift of generosity. But really, the best way to identify it is, are you generous? And the beautiful thing about generosity is you don't have to have a lot of wealth to be a generous person in Christ. That would be like saying, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm never going to evangelize at any point in my life. Or, well, I don't have the gift of mercy, I don't think, so I'm not going to be compassionate to my neighbor. That's crazy. Likewise, to say, well, I don't have the gift of generosity, so I'm going to keep that in my piggy bank. That's crazy. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 says this, that the churches of Macedonia, listen to this, they gave out of their severe trial and their extreme poverty. Mark 12, 41-44 says that the widow who offered her two small copper coins, that she gave, quote, all she had. And then Jesus points out that all she had, though they were just two small copper coins, was more than what was offered that day as he sat back and watched. The offerings go by. It was not that her gift was numerically higher, quantitatively more than the other gifts that were thrown in that day. It's that she gave sacrificially, she gave generously, and she gave what Jesus could see that you and I couldn't from a heart that was driven by a woman who knew the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God towards her, a sinner. And although we might not all have the spiritual gifts, the exact same ones, it doesn't excuse any of us from being, not being generous and any more than it excuses you and I from never evangelizing or never showing mercy to someone in need. We're all called to be generous. We're called to be generous with what we have. And so this shouldn't be something that, that we talk about and go, Ugh, this is something I have to do. This is something that we get to talk about and go, Praise God, I get to be a part of this. This is gospel advancing ministry, generosity. You remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis twelve, verse two? He said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And the truth is, the more that we personally, individually, as families, as a church, engage in generosity, the more we are going to become aware of the blessing that is in it, not just for those whom we are being generous towards, but even to ourselves as the giver. Jesus Christ said this, and in Acts 20, 35, it says, it quotes him, it says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So yes, generosity is both kind and it is necessary and it is a blessing both to the giver and to the receiver of the gift. Paul goes beyond that though. He says that there's yet another blessing to generosity. It's that generosity is rewarded by God. That's my second point. Generosity is rewarded by God. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What's Paul saying here? He's saying there is a much bigger picture than what's just seen in the Philippians gift here. The bigger picture is this. They have given a material provision gift to Paul to help him in need so that the gospel could continue to advance so that he could pay the bills on time under house arrest and more. And yet there is a spiritual blessing through their giving that they are experiencing spiritual rewards that they will one day receive in heaven from God himself. One theologian put it this way, their gifts brought Paul joy not because of its personal material benefit to him but because of its spiritual benefit to them and we don't need to tiptoe around this stuff Jesus Christ did not tiptoe around rewards that await faithful Christians he talked openly and explicitly about them i'm going to quote him Matthew 10:41 through 42 The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Even a cup of cold water. The Philippians were essentially, they were reallocating God's material blessings to them and they were reaping spiritual rewards. That's not why they did it, but that is what was happening and Paul's reminding them of that. And I think it's important that you be reminded of that. They're, they're not simply giving their money away. They're investing in What? in the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing in that present day and in their futures, in the life to come, after Christ comes again and consummates the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. They were storing up treasures in heaven, and Jesus Christ speaks of that, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and they steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There are no thieves in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. There's no depreciation of anything in heaven. It's the safest investment of our lives. And it's an investment in our life to come. And I just want to pause for a moment and remind you of the reality that that is not the counsel that you're going to get from the unbelieving world as you steward your finances. I mean, the world is completely opposite to that. The, the world, the unbelieving world, the wisdom of this world says invest everything you have in this life for a better life at the end of your life, not at the beginning of your eternal life. And unfortunately, many Christians, many immature Christians, nominal Christians have taken the bait and they're all invested in this life and, and none in the life to come And though they will be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, they're not preparing for the life that's to come. They're not laying up treasures in heaven. Paul's saying, guys, there is a reward coming, and you need to be mindful of it because this world's not going to remind you of it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 captures the principle really well. It says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so I want to urge you to take this seriously. Every Christian, every Christian should be invested in the advancement of the kingdom of God with what you have. You can't invest someone else's money in this. You can't invest someone else's resources in this. You can't can't leverage someone else's house or car for this. It has to be what you have, whether much or little. Remember that woman. Remember that old widow and those two copper coins. And remember how Jesus saw that. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been invested and you have been contributing Great, be reminded, there is a reward coming. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, great, where do I start? And I would, I would just unashamedly invite you to start by investing in your local church, cheerfully, sacrificially, regularly supporting your local church. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I'm the pastor of this local church. You can invest in whatever local church you want that you want to be a part of and be a member. The reason why I'm encouraging you to do that is that the local church is God's missiology, meaning the local church is God's method of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The local church, it is the only ministry in the New Testament that Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I would encourage you to invest in many ministries There are a lot of great parachurch ministries out there. We're actually encouraging people over the last several weeks to invest in a particular ministry. You'll hear about it at the end of this morning. But friends, invest in the local church. Healthy local churches grow and multiply and plant healthy local churches and that's how you get to the ends of the earth. Our investment in gospel ministry is Pleasing to God. And that brings me to my third point. Generosity is pleasing to God. It is. Look at verse 18. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Well, the first sacrifice I want you to see is actually from the Philippians. It's, Paul says, he says he's received full payment and more. And it's a legitimate question to ask. Is a generous gift generous if it costs the giver nothing? If Bill Gates was like, hey, here's a $10 bill, you'd be like, that's really nice, Bill, but you could have easily given me a couple hundred dollar bills and it would've been no sweat off your back, right? There's no sacrifice in that for him. Is a generous gift generous if it costs the giver nothing? Sometimes we can be so cold and calculative over our giving where we're like, Did we, do we budget that in? And I'm not saying be irresponsible at all. I'm saying give give where you have to make adjustments in your life that make you a little uncomfortable personally so that it is a sacrificial gift. the Lord rejoices in that. He takes pleasure in that. Cheerful sacrificial gifts. Don't give sacrificially if you can't do it cheerfully. Give sacrificially with the mindset that this is a ministry. Generosity is a ministry for the gospel to advance. The Philippians weren't looking to meet the bare minimum. They didn't say, "Paul, how much is rent? 865 a month? OK, great. We'll send 865 a month. They wanted to supply beyond just what he needed to pay that rent. He supplied it and beyond and more, he says. The gift was also sacrificial in another sense, an even more beautiful sense. It says that it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It was pleasing to God. Again, this was a material, monetary provision for Paul for his prison ministry at that present time in Rome. But it was also accruing spiritual rewards for the Philippians. And it was also a spiritual sacrifice that, got, that brought pleasure to God in the present time. And, and this language here, sacrifice, pleasing to God, aroma, all this, this is just an allusion to the Old Testament sacrificial system. The only way to understand your New Testament properly is if you study the Old Testament. And when you do, you understand that this is a reference that's specifically referencing Genesis 8, 20 and 21. I'm going to read it to you. It's Noah after the flood had subsided. It says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord Smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. I need you to keep something in mind here with this sacrifice to God that was pleasing aroma to him. This was not offered before God came to Noah and said, Noah, build an ark. This was not offered before God brought salvation to Noah. This was a response to the salvation that God showed Noah. This was after the rains had subsided and dry land was, was rising up to the surface again. So this offering from Noah to God was not a means to his salvation. It was a response to it. This was a sacrifice of praise to God for being so generous and gracious to Noah, a sinner. It pleased God. Listen to how the New Testament speaks of how we are to engage in spiritual sacrifices today. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is gospel driven generosity. Gospel driven generosity, friends. It's offering up your whole body, it's it's saying, I am yours, all of me. My hair, my fingernails, everything that's in my bank account, everything that I own, my house, my car, everything is yours. Do with what I have, with what you want, because ultimately it is yours. Give me wisdom to steward it in the ways that you want. Let me be a wise steward of the things that you've entrusted to me temporarily before. Glory. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us, how? And gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me read it to you again. Be imitators of God to become beloved children? No. No. As beloved children. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Which was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The most pleasing thing that ever reached his nostrils, so to speak. So so in our sacrificial generosity, in, in all this, we need to keep the cross in mind. Because we look to him, the one who offered his Life for us, for our sake, and in response we say, anything's yours because all things are yours. Glorify your name. Sacrificial generosity can bring great pleasure to God, but only if it is done by faith. Anything we do, any good thing we do that is done outside of faith in Christ God takes no pleasure in. Isaiah says it's, it's like filthy rags. Our best day. Our most righteous day done outside of faith in Christ. Any good deed in attempt to earn God's favor, God takes no pleasure in. But when we do it in response to having God's favor in Christ, he takes great pleasure in it, whatever the activity is, including generosity. And that's my fourth point. Generosity is an act of faith. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus The truth is that the Philippians' resources were likely depleted as a result of this gift. They supplied for his needs and more. So Paul reminds them that God not only sees their generosity, He not only rewards their generosity on that day, He not only takes pleasure in their generosity in that moment, but God, their Father, promised to replenish them and to continue to meet their material needs as they sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, friends, this is where the prosperity gospel preachers, the false teachers in this world they go astray I mean this is where the road diverts from the truth listen very closely because if you miss it you'll take the wrong road you'll misunderstand what gospel-driven generosity is from their lies prosperity gospel preachers say Sow, sow, and reap right now. The more you give, the more you'll get right now materially. False gospel. It's just not true. They say, give us your money and you'll have health and wealth. You'll get the promotion. You'll be wise. Your marriage will be restored. Just give us the money. That's what they say. That's false gospel. God will throw those men in the lake of fire. The truth is this, as we give materially for the gospel to advance, right now, God rewards us with spiritual blessings in heaven, that's the promise, and he promises to provide what we need materially right here and now. And friends, we talked about it last week, if you weren't here, go listen to the sermon online. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we entered the world with nothing. We leave. We cannot take anything with us. But with food and clothing, with these we can be content. Matthew 6.33 says that God our Father will supply every need. He will provide food on the table or on the floor when you don't have a table. He'll provide clothes on your back so you don't have to walk through the streets in shame. He will provide for your needs so that you can continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his promise. He did not promise private jets. He did not promise yachts. He did not promise fancy things in this, worldly things in this life. He, just, he doesn't promise that. So don't miss it. Or you'll take a totally different path and you'll miss this text. The Father promises to provide for our needs. That's what verse 19 says. And so, how does Paul respond? Doxology, praise, worship. He calls a time out and says, let's praise God for that. Every need met as I continue to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, yes, food and clothing, you'll have no lack. Praise God. Paul says to our God and Father, our great provider, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has been generous towards you, friend. He's been generous towards us. He's held no good thing back from us. He has lavished His love upon us. This time of year, we celebrate the incarnation. Christ born to the virgin so that Christ could live a perfect life for you so that a blemishless lamb of God could go to the cross for you and pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be set free from the penalty of sin. From guilt and shame. Have the promise that through faith alone, in Christ alone, eternal life is yours. He's been generous towards us in Christ. And Christian generosity is really, it's just a response towards the generosity of God. It's a response towards the grace of God. That's my fifth and final point. Generosity is a response to receiving unmerited favor from God in Christ. Look at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We began this letter in Philippians on August the 20th with a Christian greeting. That was the title of the message. Because that's what was there we're concluding this letter with a generous Christian greeting. There's three at the end here. You see it? Here's the first one. Look at verse 21 again. The first greeting is from Paul to the Philippians. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't want to just greet the elders Or the deacons, or some of the ministry leaders in that church. He wanted every single Christian at the church in Philippi to know that he loved them and that he was appreciative of this gift. He was grateful for their partnership in this ministry. Every single one of them, he wanted them to know that. One theologian once said that affectionate Christianity is effective Christianity. Amen. Where there's no love in a church, there's no effective gospel ministry. Jesus Christ himself said, they will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And generosity is just one way to express the love of God. A good gospel partner will do what Paul does here. He'll let the people know who are supporting him He's grateful for them. Every one of them. A good gospel partner is what we see here. A church like the church in Philippi supporting Paul through thick and thin. Not knowing how the gospel would advance in prison, but investing and trusting that God's message will never be imprisoned. And it wasn't. Here we are talking about it 2,000 years later. Praise God. Pray that we have faith like that. If Christ delays another 2,000 years, will your ministry and our ministry as a church impact those saints then? Pray it would. The second greeting we see is from the brothers who were with Paul to the Philippian church. Verse 21 again, the brothers who are with me greet you. Well, who were the brothers who were with Paul? We know for a fact, because of Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30, that it was Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, we also can speculate, based on the closing of the book of Colossians, specifically in chapter 4, verse 7 through 14, that there were other brothers there as well with Paul. The big picture that I want you to see from, from this second greeting is this. It is touching to think of other believers wanting to say hello and, and give their greeting to the Philippian church. Some of which might have never met any of the Philippians. But they want to say, by grace, you're in my family. By God's grace, we're united. Though we're at a distance, though we may be in different congregations, different local churches, we are one in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's, Beautiful. It speaks to the unity that we have in God's grace. Third greeting is this. All the believers in Rome to the church in Philippi. Look at verse 22. All the saints greet you. And then he narrows in, especially those of Caesar's household. There were other saints in Rome and there were people becoming saints in Rome. Specifically in Caesar's household. How? Through the prison ministry that the Philippians were invested in. Philippians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, don't worry about all the adversity. It is advancing the gospel. He says this, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. The gospel is not dying in Rome. The gospel is advancing in Rome. The gospel is not withering. It is blooming in unexpected ways. The imperial guard, some of the men that were shackled to Paul in that imprisonment, were hearing the gospel, coming alive in Christ, going out alive in Christ, cannot help but talk about Christ, and people were coming alive in Christ in Caesar's household. Well, we know there were some guards, but there could have been family members, there could have been slaves, other servants, cooks, food tasters, judges. You name it. All kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of vocations are coming alive in unexpected ways through the gospel driven generosity of the Philippians and the grit and fortitude of the Holy Spirit moving in a man who was not yet done running the race of faith. Praise God. Let us endure by this grace. Let us endure, not by what makes sense to us, but enduring knowing that God is sovereign, His promises are sure, and that if we are alive, and if there's blood pumping in these veins, He's not done with us. To get a greeting from these new converts in Rome, I mean, can you imagine being the Philippians reading this letter for the first time? What? Caesar's household? The praetorian guard? So people are actually getting saved? Like the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Yes! Do you believe it? It is. Why? Because the word of God says it is. We need to believe it. The grace of God is unexpected. You can't predict who God is going to save by His mercy. It is far-reaching. It saves Ninevites. It saves terrorists like Paul. And it sure as heaven can save you if you repent of your sin today. And put your trust in Christ Jesus alone, knowing that He came and was born and lived and died so that a sinner just like you could be saved, forgiven, and enter into a cosmic redemption story. Actually be a participant in it. It's just amazing. Paul concludes... Just emphasizing that grace is the root of all this. That that grace led to the fruit of this generosity from the Philippians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit because as we continue to abide and be strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will bear more fruit than we thought possible in this lifetime before he comes. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Let's be reminded of that grace before we close. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich for your sake became poor so that By his poverty, you might become rich. And that's not the prosperity gospel preaching. That is not health, wealth, and prosperity in this life to come. This life now, but it is the eternal life that is to come. We are rich in Christ. That's exactly what we celebrate this Christmas season. That's what we celebrate all year long. The free gift of eternal life for all. Who put their faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, you have been and continue to be so kind. To us, unmerited, undeserved mercy, immeasurable patience, unending love, so kind. So gracious, so generous. So we pray that by your grace, you would help us to continue to be a church that is united by the grace that you've shown us. Help us show grace to one another. We all fall short. We have all fallen short and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. We need your grace. We need your mercy to help us to bear fruit by continuing in repentance. For we know it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And you've shown that to us so clearly. Help us to continue to be a church where our generosity is joy-filled and gospel-driven. Lord, I I pray that you would hold back any giving towards this church that is not gospel driven. We don't want it. Father, help us to be good stewards of everything that you've given us for your glory, for your pleasure, for your advancement of your gospel. Amen.